0: we've been looking together uh in the book of james and uh, i want to ask you a question what uh, you, you can turn to the person next to you and answer this question what do you think is the number one issue facing the church in the united kingdom today there's no right and wrong answer to this question by the way if you look it up on google you'll get 101 different answers But what do you think is the number one issue facing the church in the UK today? What do you think it is? You might have to talk to someone if you're going to share your uh, opinion on the matter. I wonder if it's silence, you know, because no one's talking. What do you think? What do you think the issue is? Hmm? What do you mean the lose? They aren't good enough. <laughs> Indifference. Lack of unity. Lack of love. You guys are good. You should go on YouTube and or something, you know, you should write something on this. What else? Falling numbers. Participation. Lack of snacks. Have you been out there today? You've seen there's no biscuits, heating bills, or oh, other bills. Yeah, I-, I looked it up. On some, some said this. This is the uh, you know some of the answers. The- these are the posh answers that you have to try and un- expressive individualism. Oh, who knows what that means? Personalized faith. Somebody said morality, pseudo religions fragmentation lack of unity and so on there's so many different answers to that question but you know what you did you just kind of looked at what you know of the the uk church right you looked at the scene and you probably thought about media and other things and what you've seen and what other people have told you and you came up with some kind of response right there's not a right or a wrong just some different kinds of responses and in a sense that's what james the book of james is all about The book of James is written to the dispersed believers, so believers everywhere. And what James has done is James has looked at what he sees of the early church, and then he's written stuff in here, like the Word of God, under the inspiration of the Spirit, of what he sees, and he's addressing the issues that he sees lack of snacks is not in here uh, james obviously in that day they had loads of snacks right but he looks and that's why it's kind of like piecemeal and he sees all these different issues and really the issues boil down to what we've been talking about flesh and spirit i was at a uh with enica actually we were up in i think it was in sheffield and we went to the movies in sheffield can't remember what we saw But it's the only time it's ever happened to us we went to the cinema and we were sitting there and you know you have to sit through like five and a half days of adverts before you even get to the movie that you actually came to to watch right and went through all of that and then when we got to the movie we started watching the movie but the video and the audio were not in sync in the movie and they were really do you remember that they were really badly out of sync it wasn't just like half a second behind I can't remember how long it was, but it, was, it felt like a minute, but it was probably like 30 seconds or 20 seconds or whatever it was. But like the audio was behind the video, and it was just really irritating because they didn't match. So somebody would be speaking like this, they would go off and do something, and then you'd hear what they said afterwards when the actual film had moved on. And then there was this sort of it went on for five minutes like that and everybody was like and then there's this voice came over i'm terribly sorry about this there seems to be a technical problem and then they started again no difference and finally they abandoned ship and gave us all our money back and told us to go away james really is saying the same thing he says you know what i see when i look at the the early church he says, I see the video and the audio as different. Really what he says is, he says, everything I see, I see people who are saying that they are from God. They are going God's way. They are of the Spirit. But the, the audio, if you like, or the video, is actually more fleshly. He said out of their tongues they praise God. They say they go in this way. They sing worship songs to the Lord. They even put their hands in the air. But when I look at them during the week, this is what I see is over here. He, say, he says on, on different things, the way they, they treat others, I see them saying they're going to go this way. There's going to be love, love, love. But you know, when I watch them during the week, you know what I see? I, I see a lack of that. And the book of James is really all about that. And he says, I see, I, I hear this is what they want to do. But what I see is over here. And he says, this, this, this can't be like that. I see them say that everybody is equal, but when I watch them, they're showing favoritism to some people. And he just goes through di- time and time again, different things, and he says, you know what? It's out of sync. It doesn't work. And in chapter 4, where we're up to now, he kind of comes to the, to the nub of the matter. He, he talks about, he changes from what he sees to, to what's inside of us and the reason behind it really what he says is what we believe and how we live, he says, are completely different. You say you believe this, but in your life I see this. And he goes, "Ah, that that can't be. That that just can't be like that. So let's read about what he says. This is James chapter 4. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires, your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, he's not actually literally saying the Christians were going around killing other Christians, right? It wasn't just... But he, he's using an exaggeration. He's saying, like, you desire things and you can't have it, so you, you manipulate. You, you do whatever you can. You, you denigrate. You, you, you know what I'm saying. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And here, everybody who would have read this would have thought, of what Old Testament prophet? Quick question. Quick question. Hosea, correct answer. You remember the book of Hosea? Hosea was told to go and marry an adulterous woman. He was told up front, go marry this woman. She's going to be an adulteress to you. She's going to go off and have sleep around and do all this because this is a picture of the people of Israel. And he uses the same word here, you adulterous people. He says, you know what? Why are you adulterous? Because you say one thing, you do something else. You, you, like an adulteress. You, you promise to be faithful, but really you go running off this way all the time. That's why he's saying it. You adulterous people, he says. Don't you know that friendship with the world means what? Enmity towards God. Why? Because if you're running over this way, where's your back towards the Spirit? He says. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Notice the word in there in verse 4. He says, you choose it. It's your choice. He says, you have the power. You know, that so, so uh, often in, uh, in, in our culture. You ever heard the term, the devil made me do it? What, an, what a useless excuse that is. The devil doesn't make you do anything. You choose to follow what the devil says. And he says here, you have a choice. You can choose to go this way, or you can choose to go this way. The devil doesn't make you do anything. The devil tempts you. That's all he can do. You choose. You make the choice. You have the responsibility for your actions. Devil's cunning. But we have to choose. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the Scripture says without reason that God jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He longs for that which is in us. But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture said God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see what James is saying here? He's saying this is really the the nub of the issue. Later, he calls it this, and he's called it this before. He says, you know what? You are double-minded. Literally, you have two souls. Really, what he's saying is you really, what you're trying to do is you're trying to live with one foot in this camp and one foot in this camp, and you're, I'm not going to go any further than that, Uh, you know, you're trying to do both. You're trying to kind of go like this. Because we love the things of God, and we love coming to church on Sunday, and we, lo- and we know this is the right way. But actually, come Monday, we ah, you know, there's stuff over here that I want as well, so I want to take some of that stuff with me, with some of this way, and I, I want to have a foot in both camps and sit on the fence. I would love that. Wouldn't you love that? Be honest. You're in church. Be honest. You love biscuits. It's honesty, Right love it, but we can't do that. He says, you know what? You have to make a choice. You're either going this way, or you're going this way. You can't just stand in the middle, and he calls us double-minded, meaning we, we, we you know, we, we say one thing, we do something else. Be consistent, he says. Be what you are. So the question is then, and he continues in, how, how do we overcome that double-mindedness within us? And the rest of this passage talks about and gives us steps about how we overcome that double-mindedness. You understand the problem, he's saying. So he's saying all this, all chapters 1 to 3 boils down to this. It really boils down to what's going on inside of me. And the struggle and the fight that I have between going one way or going the other. How do I choose to go the way of the Spirit with consistency. He says the first thing, well, let's read what he says first. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There it is again. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's go through that section by section really briefly this morning. First thing he says is submit yourselves to God. Could everybody who's able please stand? I want you to turn to the person near to you, give them the biggest smile you can give them, give them a nod, and sit down. Now, you have just submitted to me. That's what it means right most of you some of you went this guy's an idiot i'm not doing that but most of you did what you were told that is submission i don't know why you did that i mean you all had nice smiles but you know but you just did it because i said it right submit yourselves he says to god in other words align your life to what he says what he wants Number one, it's a military metaphor. It's really the same thing as about soldiers. You know soldiers who line up, you know, and they're, attention, you know, shoulder arms, and all that lot. That's submission. They're doing what the commander tells them to do. When they say run, you run. When you say do press-ups, they do press-ups. When they say whatever they say, the sergeant major says, the soldier does it, right? That's what it is to be in the army. And that's, that's the same kind of language that's used here. He says, like, you're in an army. Jesus is your sergeant major, and when he says do something, you better do it. When he says jump, you jump. When he says walk, you walk. When he says pray, you pray. When he says, you know, minister, you minister. When he says praise, you praise. When he says speak, you speak. When he says be silent, be silent. Do what He's telling you to do. That's what it means to submit. The first thing is really, is just really focus this way, isn't it? Look this way. Turn this way. Put your back to that. Face the Spirit. Face God. Face what He wants you to do all the time. Be consistent in that. Submit to God, He says, number one. Line up to the authority of God. Line up to what it says in Scripture. Line up to what God is saying to you. Even if you don't like it, line up to it. Align your life to what He tells you to do in here. Because if you don't do that, you're you're double-minded. You have a foot in one camp. I hear so many people. Well, I like that bit. I'll choose that bit. I was talking to someone a little bit a while ago. They're They're not a Christian. But I kind of said you know like well i have my own beliefs i've kind of taken a bit from christianity and a bit from buddhism and a bit from hinduism and a bit from islam and i've kind of cobbled it together and i like it well if that's what you know it's not the truth though is it that's just making god in your image that's just choosing what you want so you've basically set yourself up as god chosen what you wanted from all the different things that you like and you've put it together and say this will be my belief i mean just own up to what you're doing it's not the truth but we do that so often we submit and we we sing on sunday and then you know and in the little things of life are we submitting to god are we allowing him that authority in our lives the second thing he says is resist stand stand against now I want you to note something he says resist the devil and what's the devil gonna do flee run away now what it doesn't say is go fight the devil some believers like to think that's what it means that we put on the spiritual armor from Ephesians 6 that we go running into battle like David to fight the devil and his demons and throw them out. He doesn't say that. The Word never says that. The Word says just stand. Stand. Resist. Stand. You don't need to do the battling. You just need to stand. He says stand. Old Testament, Second Chronicles. The battle belongs to the Lord. He says, you don't have to fight. I'm going to fight for you. And what Jesus says to us is, you don't need to fight the devil because the devil's already defeated, right? The veil was torn in two. We reminded ourselves of that this morning. He's already defeated. All you have to do is stand. You stand where you are. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you can stand. And he keeps saying, stand, stand, stand. Don't fight don't give him more credit than he's worth. You just stand where you are. Why? Because the Spirit, because Jesus has already won the victory, and the Spirit fights on your behalf. God does the fighting. We do the standing. You see, some believers, I think, open themselves up when they turn around. And they go, oh, I'm going to take the devil on. Pride. That's pride. It's not your job to take the devil on. Your job is just to stand. Go, no, oh, I ain't going that way. I'm standing right here. I'm Keep him this way. Not to take him on. He's defeated. Don't give him any more credit than he's due. He is a defeated enemy that we can, that that Jesus said, you can choose. You can choose. Don't, Don't even look at him. Stand. Resist. Stay where you are. And then look at what he says. Draw near to God. Now, how do you draw near to God? The devil's right here how do you draw near to God? You turn this way, right? And if I turn this way, where is my back towards the devil? There is no greater place of trust in Jesus Christ than trusting him with your back. You know that? If I am standing here drawing nearer, focusing my attention on drawing near to God, what am I doing to the devil? I'm saying to the devil, I'm not even paying you any attention. Right? If my wife is standing over this side, I'm not going to do this to her because Valentine's is coming up, right? But if I was to turn this way, what would I be showing her? Any attention? If I'm walking in this direction, am I showing her any attention? No, I'm just completely and utterly ignoring her. And there is no greater example of trust in the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ than turning your back on the devil and just walking away. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. He just went, You got nothing. Walk away. You got nothing. I'm just going to keep on focusing on the Lord. I'm going to focus on God. You know, we we don't have to fight. We just turn our back. Draw near to God, he says, and he will draw near to you. Turn your back. Don't worry about him. Praise. Prayer. Proclaim the Word of God. That's what Jesus taught us to do. That's how you draw near to God. When you're going through a hard time, when when you're in temptation, what He tries to do is to get you to turn. He will constantly do that. He will tempt you by turning, and you resist, and you just focus on the things of God. Start sticking your YouTube or your, your Spotify on or whatever else, start listening. Start singing hymns and songs and praises. Start praying. Start reading your word with greater, you know, just keep feeding on it. And he is defeated and he can do nothing about it. He can only have power when you start to turn, when you go double-minded, when you start acting like the adulterous, going, oh, that guy's over there. It's pretty nice. I'll go for him like in Hosea then you give the devil an opportunity in your life but if you resist and if you keep on drawing near to God there's nothing he can do nothing at all he said cleanse your hands you sinners the word for sinners here is, is strong it's what he calls those that don't know Jesus He says, You're acting as though you don't know the Lord Himself. He says, You need to cleanse your hands. The picture here is you remember in the Old Testament, the priests, before they could go into the temple, they had to cleanse themselves. They had to wash themselves to become holy, to go into God's presence. It was just an outward symbol of something that was happening on the inside. It was like we have to clean ourselves. Cleanse, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew an upright spirit within me. Cleanse, cleanse my hands. Cleanse, cleanse who I am. Cleanse me from all the sin and the mess and the, the double-mindedness that I find in my life. I don't want to be a sinner. I, I want to I wanna be able to walk into God's presence with confidence, like it says in the book of Hebrews because of I'm clean, I'm free, I, I, I'm, a, I'm taking on the, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Forgive me, Lord. He says, cleanse, cleanse your hands, and then on the inside, purify your hearts, he says. Be sold out for Jesus Christ, so that your heart, your character is, is in, in tune with the Spirit of God, and what He wants for you. He says, make sure, don't, don't be double-minded, double-souled. Don't, don't have two characters in your, in your life. You, your Sunday, you know, when I was growing up, we used to have Sunday best. You remember those days? You used to have this awful suit that my parents, if they're watching, I just want you to know, it was terrible wearing it. You know, this awful suit with these horrible shoes that I had to wear. It was your Sunday best, and it could only come out for Sundays. You know, my mom, when I had hair in those days, she used to, like, plaster it with sun silk hairspray so that every fly in the whole district used to come and land on me. You know, it was terrible. Terrible experience going to church. And the rest, as soon as you got out of church, you took off your Sunday best, and then it was me again. And he says, don't be like that. Right? Don't, don't be, like, having two characters. You have your church character, and then you have... The rest of the world character. You know, we come in and we put these facades on. I'm not going to tell you which son. I went to a school thing once. You know, I used to love those parent teacher parent interviews. You know those evenings? Oh, it was so much fun. I used to love it. I used to beg Enoch to let me go. So much fun. Because you used to get a running commentary before you go to every teacher from, from the son saying, you know, this teacher's rubbish. Don't listen to this one which meant they're not doing so well. And, oh, this one's really good. This one's really nice. And they, oh, I'm doing ace in this one, right? Anyway, I went to this. This, this I went to one. And this, the, the head of the year came almost running over to me, shook me by the hand, and said, I don't know what you guys are doing as parenting, but you should bottle it. This kid is unbelievable. And, like, I'm thinking, have you got the right kid? Like, this is this is not like he is at home you know and they was shaking me by the hand he wouldn't let go he was just like you know you know when it goes on way too long you're like come on get get off me you know and he was shaking me and he was waxing eloquent about our son and all i'm thinking in my head i'm kind of oh thank you thank you yeah yeah, yeah," you know yeah he's all right isn't he you know and in my head i'm going this is not the kid i know at home like what's going on you know and there's this kind of disconnect the disconnect between what we see and what we really are. And, and James is saying, don't be like that. Cleanse your hands, purify your heart, be who you say you really are. Let it, let it just flow out of you completely. Be all of that. And then really to encourage us. He says, literally in the Greek, this says, be miserable. Oh, thanks, James. You know? He's saying, be really miserable. Hands up if you're miserable today. Okay, you should be because there's no biscuits. are like, There is biscuits. Okay, we'll get some biscuits. You know, like, he's saying, why be miserable? Be miserable because, well, of four and five because like paul says you know i i want to go this way but i end up finding myself going this way i i, I really want to be and this is the apostle paul right he's saying i want to be sold out for god but so often in my life i find myself doing stuff that i shouldn't be doing and i don't want to do it but i end up doing it anyway and i i, I just I'm, I'm just so upset and he's saying like you know take it seriously guys Be miserable about when we give the enemy a foothold in our lives. Be miserable about the fact that we are double-minded so often. Be miserable about the fact that we want to go this way with everything we've got, but we find ourselves so easily being drawn back this way. That we're trying hard to go this way, but so often we're kind of walking this way, but we're actually walking this way. Be miserable about it and kind of go, Lord, I, I don't want that in my life. I want to go the spirit way. I'm dying to go this way. And I know that there are things in my life that keep pulling me back this way. And I, I, I just, I hate it. I don't want it. And I want to change. And I want to be different. You see, we take sin and we take the consequences so lightly. Oh, it doesn't really matter. As long as I just calm, I'm a believer, I'm saved by grace. So does it really matter? And he's saying, take it seriously, guys. Because it does matter and it has a consequence to each one of us. And then lastly, he says this. He says, humble yourself. Align yourself again. Humility is recognizing a right relationship before God. Not that you're any lower than you should be because you're a child of God. That's amazing. But not any higher either. Because you're a child of God. You're not God. You're not even sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's Jesus' place. But you're His child. So recognize where you are, your dependency on God, what you need from Him, how tough you find it. And he says, you know what the result is? If you do that, verse 10, he said, God will lift you up. Isn't that beautiful? Right at the end of this, God's going to lift you up. He's going to elevate you. You see, the way of the flesh says elevation comes by doing these things. It's a false promise. It always has been, always will be. Promise so much, the way of the flesh. Constantly promise, 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 promise. And you get there. And what happens? is not enough. It doesn't meet the needs. And so it entices you into more and more and more and more and more. And it never meets the needs because it cannot meet the need because only God can meet your needs. Only God can bring you that shalom. Only God can fill you. And He longs to do that. He longs to be the one that lifts you up. He longs to be the one to elevate you. You've seen it today in our world, some Christian leaders even. They saw elevation from people, from the flesh, and now they've fallen. You see others that seek elevation or just don't even seek it, but God raises them up to something more than they've ever been. Not because they've sought it, because if you seek it from the flesh, it will always fall. If you seek it from God, if you allow God to elevate you in your lives, that's eternal elevation. And he will never pull the rug from underneath you. Let him do it. But you know what? As I was thinking about this, this is tough. I'm not going to pretend to you this is easy. Some people might, but it's not. Our natural selves, our human self, wants to go the way of the flesh. And to me, going the way of the spirit is like walking in the wind. Have you ever walked in a strong wind? It's hard going, isn't it? It's like being on the gym when the treadmill's going like this. You know what I mean? Keep the treadmill flat, and you just kind of, I could do this all day. You start elevating that treadmill, pretty soon the muscles start getting sore. It's hard going. And sometimes going in the way of the spirit is like this. It's hard going. Sometimes it's even like this. Sometimes you're just really tired. You're kind of pushing and pushing and going, Lord, I want to go this way, but it feels like I've got this bungee rope, you know, that's tying me and trying to pull me back the other way, and I'm trying to go this way, and it's really hard, and I feel like I'm battling upstream. Sometimes it even feels like this, right? Sometimes it just kind of goes boom, and you go off your legs, and you're flying backwards over here, and you go, I don't want to do that because it's been hard work to get up to here, and I've got to go all the way back and do it again. I don't want to do that, but that's what it feels like. Following Jesus Christ is not easy, right? Following the flesh is easy. Following Jesus is hard. It's not something I would recommend unless He calls you to do it because it's tough. If anybody tells you it's easy to follow Jesus, you're just going to snap and He's going to give you victory every single step of the way. They are dreaming. And they're certainly not telling you the gospel of Jesus Christ. It cost Jesus his life. How hard is that? He says, if anybody loves me, you've got to take up your cross every day. You've got to relinquish your life to me every day. You need to choose. Every day you've got to go against the stream. It's going to be hard. So why do it? Why bother following Christ then if it is so tough? Well, as I said, number one, because the flesh will never give you what you need. This is the easiest path for you to follow in life, to go this way. It's the easiest way to go, but there will be no peace. There will be no joy. There will be no happiness. There will be no, or happiness will be temporary. It's the easiest way to go, but there's no shalom. There's no well-being in it. It will promise it, but it can never deliver from it for you. Because that's not where the source is it would be the easy way to go for sure lots of people Jesus said it's a wide pathway going this way it's narrow going that way it's hilly it's hard religion is this way easy just turn up come to church on a Sunday give your tithes and offerings go away again go cool, you know easy but it doesn't give you anything That's why you have to come back next week, and the week after, and the week after that. But Jesus said, anybody that wants to, they can take up their cross and follow me. That's why Jesus said hard things in here, didn't he? Who is my mother and my brother and my sister? The ones going this way, not the ones of the flesh. Oh, can I go bury my dead? No, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. That's hard. It's harsh. Because he knew how hard it was. It was hard for Jesus. It's hard for you and me. Just look at Gethsemane and how hard it was. Why go this way if it's so hard? Well, number one, because that way there's just no real... Well, it doesn't deliver. In fact, all that happens when you go this way is you end up increasing your fear and your anxiety and your shame. That's what happens. You see so many people down this way. And when they they believe the lie that this is where answers are, and you just see them so messed up. Why go this way? Well, secondly, because if you're a believer, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, when we say yes to God's challenge to go in this direction, it says in 1 Corinthians 3:16 that we're temples of His Spirit. And that means that wherever we go, God's Spirit goes with us. Wherever we go, God's Spirit goes with us. So when I become double-minded and I start doing the things of the flesh, I'm taking the temple of God into the flesh. I'm literally taking God's Spirit into those things where God's Spirit should not be. He's not in me. When you become, let me put it like this: Should we allow anything to happen in this sanctuary? Why not? You know, if if, uh, if a film crew has happened recently, not here. Film crew wants to come and film, uh, do gives the church some money and do some film recording here. Give the church a lot of money. Do a film recording here, something violent, a big shoot up. Big gangster movie in the sanctuary. Should we allow it? Blood everywhere. Why not? It's defiling the temple. It, should we should we let it out to, you know, other faiths to come in and hold their services here? Why not? Because this is special, right? This place is special. It's a sanctuary. It's, it's a temple of God. It's holy ground, as we sang. But you know what? You and me are holy ground, too. Because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it clearly. And so when I mess around with the things of the world, what am I doing? There's no different uh saying anything can come into here and it's okay it's no different than me kind of messing around with stuff and kind of going oh yeah well god god doesn't just go oh david you you go off and do that for a bit i'm gonna wait for you over here i'm gonna cease to be a temple while you go and mess around in the things of the world and then when you're ready come back purify yourself and i'll come back inside of you no the spirit goes wherever i go because i will be a temple to the day i die and then into eternity. And so if I'm messing around with the things of the world, I'm taking God's temple and I'm, I'm defiling His temple. I'm taking His presence into places where His presence shouldn't be going, at least not through me and you. If I'm saying things out of my mouth, I'm saying things that the temple of God should not say. I'm proclaiming things that don't represent what the temple of God really is. You know, being a believer is a beautiful, beautiful privilege, but it's a massive responsibility too. That's why I said it's not easy going this way. Don't do it. Jesus spent his whole ministry telling people not to do it, didn't he? Just do it if, if, if you're called to do it. Do it because you don't have a choice because he's touched you and he's transformed you and you know you have to go this way. That's what he wants because he's met with you. But you know why you go this way? You go this way because this is the way of blessing. This is where he lifts you up. This is where you find the power and the presence of God in action when you go this way. You want God in your life? You want to see what God can do through you as his temple, collectively as well as individually? Then that's the way you have to go. That's why you go this way, because this is where God works. This is where God happens in our lives. This is where we experience God lifting us up, where we experience the power of God flowing through us. This this is where life comes in all its fullness, Jesus said, when you go that way. This is where you feel like this. Like a child holding the hand of Jesus. Knowing his presence with you, even though it's tough. Knowing that he's going to be with you, even though it's a hard, sometimes difficult, sometimes you feel like you're off your, off your legs flying back the other way. But that's, that's you. Because he said, I will never, ever leave you and I will never, ever forsake you. I will go with you. However hard it becomes, there's a beautiful picture. I think it's in the National Gallery of Jesus hanging on the cross. And it's so dark, you can hardly see it. You have to look at it for a while. And if you keep looking at it, you you see the outline of Jesus hanging on the cross. And then if you keep looking at it even longer, you see the face of the Father above looking down on His Son. You know, Jesus, that the God never left his son, the father, the spirit. They were there together, even in those mm-hmm. deepest, darkest moments. And that's what God's promised for you and me. That when we go the way of God, when we go that way, he will always stay with us. We will get to experience this, but we also get to experience this. His church. I'm glad you came back. You came back at exactly the right moment. You know that? My days are people having babies around it? Like, how many kids have we got these days? Wow. Fantastic. When you go God's way, you go the way of the blessing. The blessing for knowing Jesus holding your hand every step of the way, but the blessing of knowing the people of God around you too. That not only are we holding God's hand, but that we hold one another's hands too. That God goes with us through one another. That we can become channels of God's presence into one another that we can be the church of Jesus Christ that's what he's calling us to be